Hey everyone, welcome back to Quaker Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McKeown. I'll be interviewing two people today. First, Brandon Pride, former sports editor and current sports associate. And then Caleb Crane, who is the current sports uh, editor for the department. And yeah, we can get right into it. You know, we'll do our weekly check-in on sports later. But first, we have a topic for um, Mark DeRosa. Brandon interviewed him earlier this week. If you're unfamiliar, he was the head coach for the USA World Baseball Classic team, which is pretty cool. He's also a Penn alumni, which is why we get to cover him. And yeah, I was going to ask Brandon, uh, how'd the interview go? What'd you talk to him about? Yeah, it was really good, actually. Um, first, I'll start off by saying thanks for having me on. You know, it's an exciting oh, topic to talk about. How but could we not have you on? I know, right? I mean, it's about time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so Mark DeRosa, yeah, it was, um, it's been really cool to do this story. It's actually kind of a funny story. Um, a couple months ago, I did a story. It was like top 10 athletes in Penn history. You know, we have a pretty extended history, over 100 years. And he actually made that list of top 10. And, you know, that wasn't, like, my pitch to get him to talk to me. I was just like, hey, this guy was really good. He mm-hmm. played football, um, was a starting quarterback as a freshman on an undefeated Ivy League championship team back in 1994. Um, and then he ran it back the next year and won a title again. Okay. And um, then he was also playing baseball for Penn at the time. Um, so that was, you know, pretty crazy. I told him he made the top ten list. And uh, he actually was like, oh, I'm actually not a top ten athlete. You shouldn't have put me on there. I but, don't know um, if I could ever be humble if I won two – championships in my league i would never shut up about it yeah that's the thing i mean he's just a really humble guy um, <laughs> um you know very busy guy he's also one of the faces of mlb network on tv you know he's busy with that he took the time to talk to me today for over 20 minutes um super nice guy um and yeah super interesting guy too um mm-hmm. as i said it was accomplished football player here and that was actually originally what he came to penn for was well i mean in high school that was kind of his uh calling card was football and uh, he played baseball kind of on the side. That was his dad's thing, but he was really a football guy. Yeah. And um, But he told me one of the reasons he chose Penn was because they told him, you can also play baseball. You know. That, I, again, it's hard enough to be a football player. Yeah. It's hard enough to be a championship, two-time championship starting quarterback as a freshman. And this guy is just kind of casually like, I'll also be great at baseball. Exactly. I'll also, yeah, yeah, I'll also just, you know, figure that out. And I'll also be an Ivy League student and do all that Also stuff. go to Penn. Yeah. <laughs> Get a degree in an Ivy. Exactly, yeah. Um, no, so yeah, obviously a pretty accomplished guy. And um, he said it was the summer after his sophomore year. He went up to Cape Cod. Uh, they have a you know a summer league up there, and he did pretty well up there. And that was when he figured out, oh, actually, this might be a career for me as opposed to you know being a businessman or being a professional quarterback. Actually, baseball maybe is what I want to do. So um, – I think he started becoming really dedicated to that. That was kind of the turning point for him in college. And, um, you know, it turned into a 16-year pro career. Played a variety of positions, uh, hit 100 home runs. Crazy. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine living life as a college student being like, oh, I could either be a business major at Wharton, you know, one of the most successful, or I could go pro as a quarterback, or I could go pro as a baseball player. And having that, like, I, it already sounds like a fairy tale. And then to have a 16 16- year-long pro career on top of that like i'm seething with jealousy hearing about it but also it's just uber impressive no it really is yeah and i mean i wish i was in his shoes for sure (laughs) but um you know he would even tell you he even when he was in college he didn't know that that was going to happen because uh you know he only played three years at penn Mm -hmm. between football and baseball his junior his senior year he was kind of just like focusing on getting ready for pros but at the same time he came back to penn and got his academics out of the way and graduated with a degree from Wharton. And it's because he said, I didn't know I was going to make it to, the, you know, mm-hmm. a big, long career. I had to have a fallback option. So, you know, 
there's not a ton of guys in the MLB who have college degrees, period. And the mm-hmm. fact that he has one, you know, from Penn, like, I mean, it's, yeah, again, preparing for pros is enough. We're like you as, of, you know, working at the DP, especially in the sports section, we're around a lot of athletes and, you know, not having scholarship money, not having all this other stuff. Being an athlete's hard enough. And I, I again, I, I've said it already, but I can't imagine being like, oh, I might make it to the pros. Let me stick. Let me not focus on that. Let me not focus on like this amazing career I could be having or this physical capability I could be working on. Let me go get my business degree real quick from Wharton, which as much as we say it is just like, you know, crayons and coloring pencils is a hard degree to get. And then also have a, like go into being pro. I that's I'm like, I, I'm kind of blown away by it. And then ends up being coach for the WBC. So yeah, no, I mean, it's crazy. I am current also a Wharton student. I'm not going to confirm or deny the coloring <laughs> accusations. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, crazy guy for sure in a good way. Um, it was funny. Like, I guess he hasn't been back on campus in a while and he was mm-hmm. asking me like, Oh, was Allegro still open? Is smoke <laughs> smoky still open? And, and he was happy they were, but it wasn't very happy that a couple other places had closed. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we'll make a tour. Every yeah. question's always yeah. Allegro's. Every- <laughs> well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, that was a pretty, pretty big part of his undergraduate experience. Allegro's, mm-hmm. I guess we can all say that, but so we can all claim yeah. being there drunk at 3am. Yeah. Well, okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and that kind of leads to the natural, you know, next stage of his career, which was, well, not natural, but work managing World Baseball Classic was actually anything but natural for him mm-hmm. as he had actually never managed any level of baseball, be it T-ball or mm-hmm. college or whatever it was. So, um, you know, it was definitely a big jump for him to make. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> that, um, I actually didn't know that going into this. That makes me seethingly mad because how can you as the USA be like, okay, we need a guy to really manage these players, really go out there and win, and you pick a guy who's never managed before? I love him. Yeah. I think he's great. That's a rough look. No, it's a fair question. And I kind of asked him about that. And he said, you know, it's really more about just like, it's not necessarily like he obviously has a great, he was basically saying anyone in this roster could manage this team. They're all smart people. They all know yeah. the game really well, but like, you know, in terms of making game decisions. But the question is who can bring all these guys from different clubs together and make them want to compete for, you know, a united purpose mm-hmm. and all that. And he said he thought he really had the unique ability to do that, having played for, I don't remember how many it was, but I think it's eight to ten teams in his career. Damn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and then um, he's actually said he drawed on his um, experience as a quarterback at Penn, okay. being in the huddle and trying to get guys together, you know, and uh, he said okay. he talked about that. So, yeah. Um, it's all independent education that, you know, you gets know, you I across guess, the uh, line. Well, gets you second place at the WBC. Well, yeah. <laughs> Not to throw any shade at, at Mark DeRosa. Um, no, it's not a bad finish for a first-time manager. It's a bad finish when you have, you know, all the best baseball players in the MLB and you lose to Shohei Otani. And who also guys. happens to be one of the best players. Yeah, and eight guys who aren't in the MLB. Oh, okay, okay. Or, you know, their pitchers were. But, you know, I won't I won't hate too much. Mark DeRosa also benched three Phillies in a game, the only game we lost besides the final game. But, you know, I won't, I won't question. I won't say anything. Sounds great. Yeah, well, um, you know, there's definitely a learning curve, you could say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, and that's interesting because I asked him if he wanted was going to be interested in future managerial positions. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, you know, he's not necessarily seeking it out, but he's not shutting the door either. And mm-hmm. it turns out he's actually interviewed with a couple MLB teams about wow. potentially being a manager. So, okay. uh, yeah. Um, so that's a little bit of breaking news kind of thing. I don't think I broke that. I think um, we'll call it breaking news. Oh, okay. The oh, DP yeah. broke this news <laughs> yeah. as of today. Yes, um, get people to start listening to the podcast. Break some news. Yeah, break, yeah. Have, have that in the title. Um, but that is, like, as much as I'm hating on him because I'm from Philly and he benched Philly's players, 
that is an incredibly tough job to have to have you know a bunch of the biggest egos in the world bunch of the most talent in the world finding out the batting order finding out who's actually going in the game dealing with egos and stuff like that and him crediting back to Penn, back to being a quarterback you know that's fun for us because that it validates you know the experience here it's also just you know it's cool to see alumni succeed a guy who's already uber successful here going out being extra successful it's just it's fun to learn about it makes it makes me hopeful for my career even though it's a hundred percent less spectacular than his will ever than mine will ever be but like it's pretty cool to hear like the story of how taking your pen knowledge being a baseball player being a manager going on this big world stage it's cool to hear yeah man absolutely um and you know you're a multi-talented guy too you're doing podcasts and <laughs> writing stories so you know you could say you're an everyday mark derosa I, I don't want to offend him like that. I don't want to. That's a spit in the face. You just want to offend him in terms of his coaching decisions. Yes. I, w- <laughs> <laughs> I will call him a bad manager. I will not compare myself to him. I, I Again, the one the one vex about sports media is any guy can sit behind a chair and say, like, oh, he's a bad manager. But if you made me the manager of an MLB team right now, I promise you I'd be 100% worse. So it's it's understandable. Again, really love the guy. I really appreciate him sitting down with the DB, sitting down with you. I think that's... Uh, an incredibly cool thing to do. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to reach out, but he did. Um, is there any other like last tidbits you feel about that interview or like you feel like people need to know, have to share kind of stuff? Um, I think I'll just give a shout out to Lachlan March um, because she was kind of, mm-hmm. she did a, a story with him a couple months ago, much more timely than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of was the one who told me to, you know, hey, you can actually talk to this guy. You don't have to, because, you know, we've done stories on him in the past and it was kind of just like, summarize his wikipedia article and don't actually talk to him don't talk to anyone but yeah it was cool to like you know mlb network was really nice in terms of setting this up and uh really responsive and um yeah so shout out to her go read her article and read mine in a few days when it comes out (laughs) read all her articles she's she's a former guest on the show as well she's been on here she was a great interview and yeah we love lachlan here yeah hopefully a future guest too yeah have her back on yeah of of course she she wrote about i think it was softball was her last article she wrote about for us great I yeah. love all her writing. I also love all of Brandon's writing. Thank you. And again, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate this it. Will, this will end our Mark DeRosa segment as we move into interviewing Caleb Crane. Now into our next segment. I'm here with Caleb Crane, sports editor. He's working on a data stories paper regarding both, you know, men's basketball and women's basketball. Um, and to start him off, talk about your like your thought process going into this, the men's team. Yeah, so our thought process for both the men's team and then also the women's team is pretty similar. We really wanted to see what was a key to winning. And so to do that, we went through all of the box scores for each individual game, compiled all the data from the official Penn Athletics website, and then we basically just went through it and went game by game and were like, what was their average for each individual stat in a win? What was their average for each individual stat in a loss? And what we found is really interesting. There's a bunch of stats where it's basically the same, but then there's a lot of stats where there's some differences, and that's mm-hmm. what we really – and they were not categories that we expected to find coming in. Yeah, and the, those, in this case, would be like markers for why they lost or like what the difference was in a loss and a win directly. So that kind of stuff can be really telling. Yeah, there were definitely – they were definitely telling about what the teams are. There were definitely some outliers um, to this data, but like on trend – it was it was pretty telling, and I think the eye test kind of backs it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all of these are not like. There's nothing really super groundbreaking in here. Yeah. 
So in talking about, you know, the differences and diff stats, what did you find for the men's team? Yeah, so what we found is there are definitely some differences. We narrowed it down to three uh, statistical categories for both teams. And just to start off with the men's team, none of these are groundbreaking, but the first one was three-point percentage. Um, the team shot 40.2% from three when they won, and they shot 30.9% from three when they lost. And okay. for context, no NBA team has shot 40.2% from three. Mm-hmm. This season. Yeah. Um, and also, 30% from three is really bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you think? Yeah. I, I, was, I, was, I wasn't fully sure, but 40 to 30 is a... It's a pretty big jump, yeah. yeah. And then, so the next one we found is assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, so the Quakers had a lot more assists when they won. They had 16.1 assists when they won. They had 13.1 when they lost. And then when they won, they had 12 turnovers a game. And when they lost they had 13 and a half turnovers a game mm-hmm. so the assist to turnover ratio is 30 percent greater wow. um when pen won it's so 1.3 compared to uh 0.96 so so far looking back at it you can say they shot quite worse from the three-point line it's the first thing second thing is their passing either it was disrupted more or they just you know sloppier and then third what's the, what's the third thing yeah so the third thing is fast break points allowed and okay. Both of these are like very. The fast break points allowed is very um, dependent on both offense and defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so they allowed six point four fast break points per game when they won. They allowed eleven point four when they lost. Wow. Um, and so that's both dependent. And I spoke with Coach Donahue earlier today. That's dependent on both not turning the ball over mm-hmm. and giving teams opportunities for easy buckets. It's also um, contingent on fast break. Uh, defense getting back in transition Mm -hmm. making sure you don't give a team open opportunities in the first uh couple seconds of a possession yeah and when you look at all those in a row you can imagine a possession going where you know you're you're losing you miss a three or it was a bad pass and your team's doesn't feel great because they're losing and they don't get back on defense because the pass was bad they all relate to each other you know basketball wise you can see those things going down in a loss because they pile on effort wise you start missing your threes, you don't get back on defense, you make a bad pass, they can run. So it's all those things, they're determiners. They, they, it's, it's very like, it's something that I don't think the common eye notices when you're just looking at a stat sheet, but going into the data, this all, like, it all connects together. Yeah, I mean, there's outliers in all of them. For example, they're, um, they made 16 threes against Missouri. They shot 50%, but they still lost because they gave up 92 points. <laughs> um, that, that would fucking do it. <laughs> but also, but also, they had they sh- they shot o of twelve against Princeton, three of twenty five against Iona, and four of nineteen against Cornell. They lost all three of those games. Mm-hmm. And then, and also, but like fast break points, when they allow four fewer fast break points, there's nine of those games. They were eight and one in those games. Mm-hmm. And when their opponents scored the six games where their opponents scored the most in transition, they were two and four in those games. So, like, there are correlations. There's some outliers, but mm-hmm. there is correlation in terms of, like, these stats mm-hmm. towards winning and losing. And, like, yeah, they all do run together because you turn the ball over. That creates a fast-break opportunity. And assists probably lead to a more open shot than, mm-hmm. like, something off the dribble, especially from three. Exactly. Um, yeah. And talking about off-dribble, you know, three-point mm-hmm. shots, catch-and-shoot, off-dribble, our team was very discombobulated this year. I know you talked with Coach Donahue. What was he saying for like going to the future solutions wise? Yeah, so he said that one of his one of his goals for next year is to be better, shoot more catch and shoot threes, mm-hmm. where 
someone's driving, dishes it out to the perimeter, catch, shoot, no mm-hmm. dribble, as opposed to off the dribble threes. He wants people to get quicker on their releases. Mm-hmm. And then another thing he said, another goal is three more assists a game, three fewer turnovers a game. Yeah. And like on its own, that's one and a half a half, like mm-hmm. per each 20-minute period. But over the course of the season, that'll add up, and that'll impact winning. Um, consider especially how we lost last game of the season by one possession. You know, like mm-hmm. those things add up where, again, you know, you can look at the final possession of our, our season in total. We had Dingle shooting a off-the-dribble three instead of a catch-and-shoot three. We had one more turnover, or like, we, <laughs> you know, we they had final possessions. So we obviously, you know, lost one possession compared to them. And it's stuff like that where those little things directly add up because, again, if that kind of stuff, what he's talking about, if we fix that this season, we could have been in March Madness. That, that's yeah. how big those differences matter. And it's it's taking the highest quality shots. Mm-hmm. Um, he also did um, he talk about d- defense, how his goal is just improve defense. Yeah. As a whole, defense, he, he likes where the team's at offensively. It's taking steps every year. He mm-hmm. likes the offensive rebounding. Defensive rebounding is an area that he highlighted of focus. And then also... Um, Individual defense, one-on-one, on-ball defense on the perimeter is definitely an area. And he didn't really mention some specific players, but Lucas Monroe headed out of the program is definitely huge. Um, Shout out, th- Lucas. There's a lot of minutes and a lot of effort that's definitely going to need to be, that's going to need to come from somewhere mm-hmm. um, next season. But, I mean, he highlighted Nick Spinoza as, I mean, the current Big Five most improved player. He thinks... Nick could become Big Five most improved player again I agree. next year. He's he's so just talented. because of the potential mm-hmm. um, that's there, and he definitely like realized a lot of that this year. But there's like even more that could happen, and being more of a of of a player who can get to the free throw line, move and then attack or pass or having multiple players who can Both do dribble penetration. Yeah. Off the dribble. And, and that's what we lost with Max Martz. Or not, sorry, excuse me, Lucas Monroe. Uh, he was a guy who could do everything. I, I always felt like he was underutilized. That's my personal gripe. Again, as I said earlier in the episode, a guy who on his couch could sit and say anything while a coach actually has to do the job. But I, I always feel like I really thought Lucas Monroe was underutilized, and now he's gone. Um, but, again, all those problems, he's talking about perimeter defense. We have two small guards out there. We have Dingle and Clark. That's really rough. And you get into the paint. I love Nick, super great offensively, super great player, not the best defensive player. So all these those things kind of pile up. And the one guy we had who was, you know, great at all positions is a senior and just graduated. Yeah, and, and also Max Lorca Lloyd as a as a yeah. rim protector uh, came in huge in some of those games and he's gonna be gone next year as exactly. well. Exactly. And it's just it's where do you fill in? You know, we had Max Martz pop off this season, really shown he's probably gonna get a bigger role. You have Andrew coming off the bench who had a lot of great rebounds, but those guys aren't what he's probably looking for when he said, like, I don't think they're permanent solutions for your recruiting and for future years. It's kind of a team buy-in thing from now, from here on, but. Yeah, he seemed confident about some of the recruits coming in, some mm-hmm. of the solutions that are already Brett in the program. Brett Brown's kid coming in. Yeah, there's a couple. Shout out Walker Carnathan for telling me about that. I, that is devil's, I feel like that's a curse, personally. Not only, not only is there, is there Sam Brown, there's also, um, another player, uh, who is, um, there's not only uh, Sam Brown, there's Tyler Perkins, a 6'4 shooting guard um, mm. from the D.C. area. Some hype for a guard on our team for once. That's crazy. I, <laughs> I never knew we could have that with Clark and, and Dingle. Love Dingle. Walked by him once. That 6'3 is a lie. 
that that player info is a lie. I'm gonna well, say they it. measure in shoes, so you never know. <laughs> Positioning over to the to the women's team. What was your mindset for them going in? What what did you find? What 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 what's the developments here you see for the season? Mm-hmm. Yes, there were there we found three uh, things there as well. One is the o- just overall field goal percentage, not mm-hmm. just from three. It was forty five point four percent shooting from the field when they won. Mm-hmm. They shot thirty three point three percent when they lost. Christ. Um, points off turnovers, so kind of similar to fast break, but like mm-hmm. not exactly. Uh, Sixteen point um, one when they. Uh, one, uh, they scored 16.1 points off turnovers, uh, and they scored 8.5 when they lost. Mm, okay. And then also, in an encouraging sign about the future of the program is Simone Sawyer. Oh, yeah. Uh, she played 22, uh, nearly 23 minutes a game when they won, mm-hmm. and she only played 15.4 minutes when they lost. Um, and there's some confounding in that. There's some, mm-hmm. um, there's some outliers and all that, but those are big enough differences that I think we can talk about them as trends. Oh yeah, uh, Simone Sawyer. I remember I covered one game with, with, and she had I think six or seven threes before it was even the last ten minutes of the game. I was so astounded. Yeah. And because you go in, you look at the stat sheets, like as a reporter, you do your research, and you don't see a ton on her because she's newish. Like she's, it was just I don't know what it was, but she blew me away. And seeing that, and seeing her like her excel, gave me tons of hope for the program. Yeah, and Coach McLaughlin spoke very, very highly of her. Um, as someone who, he said that the summer, the spring and summer after your freshman year of college is when the most development happens for a player, because you come in and then there's you just get hit by yeah. like college and also college basketball, mm-hmm. and now you know what to expect, you know what to train for heading into next season, mm-hmm. and he thinks uh, Simone's going to take a big jump going into her sophomore year, mm-hmm. but he also acknowledged that like, unlike the men's team that's going to return four of its starters. The women's team is going to see some turnover, obviously, from Caleb Padilla and Mandy McCurk, especially being the, the starting backcourt, mm-hmm. being two of the three leading scorers. Padilla leaving one of the program greats, leaving the is, is always going to hurt, no matter in what fashion, no matter what the recruiting class coming in. That's rough. Yeah. I mean, she's the one She's the one you hope you trade. you Like in pro terms, you trade away a player like her for draft picks in the hope that one of them is going to be the next her. <laughs> Can't do that in college. I know. You can't do that in college. She is going to transfer, but there's nothing coming back here in return. Shout out to a previous episode where I complained why we can't give her the best facilities or keep her longer because of pre-standing Ivy, Re- Ivy League rules. But, but yeah, that's a lot. It, she's a lot of shooting, a lot of scoring that's going to be leaving the program. And Coach McLaughlin, he seems confident that there's there are solutions on the team. He plays his freshman um, slightly more than uh, the men's team does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, I mean, Simone, he sees Jordan Obi taking a larger role, mm-hmm. not being like a point forward exclusively and not like becoming a guard, but mm-hmm. like definitely like being a, oh, having a lot of offense flow through her. Yeah. He foresaw as a role and, but yeah, that's a lot of, there's a lot of shots, a lot of shot making, leaving, uh, the, program. leaving the program. And it's hard when you said like it was points on fast break. It was all these things where it was assists and turnovers. When you look at like Kayla Padilla, she was kind of the glue to the team. She was the reason we weren't having a turnover every possession, because a lot of things were out of you know not perfectly in sync. Whatever's going on, she was the one who kept everyone kind of in control with her passing skills, ball handling, all that kind of stuff. Seeing her leave, and then Coach McLaughlin having to look down at the team like, well, how do I prevent these now? Like I saw a trend last year, we lost because we gave up these points, or we didn't score enough points in the fast break, and I lose my best fast break player. 
what am I supposed to yeah. do? And her and Mandy. Um, and Mandy. Because <laughs> Mandy was Mandy did run the point a lot of the time oh, yeah. as like the traditional like number one and then and then Kayla was somewhat shooting more guard. of a combo guard, I would say. The Allen Iverson role of he's a point guard, shooting guard. He, combo guard. He does what you want. No. Yeah. And so that's a lot leaving the program, but I mean talking with the coaches is that the future is still bright. Even though there are these differences and there's gonna mm-hmm. be stuff to replace, the future is still bright. Did Mc- okay. Did McLaughlin get into anything else about, you know, solutions for the future? Um, I mean he said Floor Tunders is gonna definitely be playing a role mm-hmm. working on her shooting, her scoring, and then Jordan Obi's gonna be more of a f- having a lot of offense come through her. So goal for the women's to have, you know, the front court improve season by season. Guards took a hit, but we have a lot of front court talent. And I think that's all the time we have for today for the podcast. I want to thank Caleb Crane for coming on, for sharing his data insights. It's been a really interesting talk. Um, and yeah, I want to thank everyone for listening. And we're going to get into our weekly recaps. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Pride. I'm a former senior sports editor and current sports associate. Uh, you may have heard from me earlier talk about Mark DeRosa. I'm going to continue talking about baseball here as we get into the current iteration of the Penn baseball team, which uh, had a pretty successful weekend going 2-1 and one in a series against the Princeton Tigers. Um, which would be their second straight Ivy League series win, uh, which is really jockeying them for good position in the playoffs, which is just the top two teams in the Ivy League. So they really need to be getting all these wins that they can right now. And uh, fueling their win was the starting pitcher, Ryan Drombrowski, who um, Ryan Drombrowski, who had a very successful Game 3, which was the rubber match, as the team split the first two games of the doubleheader on Saturday. But on Easter Sunday, he was up for the challenge, uh, he actually threw a program record 15 strikeouts in more than seven innings of baseball and uh, obviously got the win in a timely performance for the Quakers. And uh, they head into next weekend with a pivotal series against Dartmouth Big Green up in New Hampshire that will uh, definitely help determine where they stand when it comes to the end of the season. Thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to Quaker Nation's podcast. We always appreciate you guys. Uh, tune to the next episode coming out later next week. And, yeah, hope you guys have a great week.